Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the deal, my brother? My guy. What's the word, baby? Ain't nothing, man. I'm on my 25th hour right now, man. I'm grinding it out, man. See, mm-hmm. I, ain't, I got my big going crazy. Like, hey, it's like that sometimes, you know. Hey. No rest for the blessed. That's a fact. What's going on with you? Man, you know me. Daddy daycare over here. I had moms, the nanny over here, so we chilling. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, no, nah, I just wanted to tap in with you, man. Everybody, you should know who Ross Mack is. Maconomics, um, EYL alumni, has a show on Revolt. Dope commentary when it comes to the economy. Used to work on Wall Street. Um, yeah, very interesting young man. So um, you will be joining us for our Market Monday show in Chicago because you are a Ch- Chicagoan yeah. as well. That's right? really right, man. It's going to be historic, man. Monumental. Native Chi-Town representative. So make sure you get your tickets. The link is pinned. But I just wanted to wrap with you for a minute, a few minutes before our show on Sunday just to talk about a few topics, man. It's a lot going on in the world. Um, and I know you're, you're an economist. Um, so I want to get your opinion from the economy standpoint. I'm going to start with the number one topic, 
Israel, Palestine. You don't have to give me your political views, mm. but I interested to hear your economic views on this situation. Did you see Biden's um, press conference just now? You know, it's crazy. <clears throat> I caught the tail end of it, but I saw, because, you know, I got a few updates and stuff like that, but I see he's saying, you know, immediately he want to go before Congress. He want to get money for Israel as well as Ukraine. So, you know, my overall view with those things is at the end of the day, war is always bad. Geopolitical tensions are always bad for the for the stock market, for the overall economy, right? And I think obviously when he goes before Congress and he's asking for more money, that's just a function of saying the U.S. debt is only continuing to grow. We had like 33 trillion, like 10 years ago, it was like 10 trillion. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> the idea of like three Xing over the past 10 years is crazy. And that's just gonna have a ripple effect for the years to come on, whether that's the tax rate or what, you know, other different, rates in general might be. So at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, war is never good unless unless you own, you know, some of those, you know, defense sector names, et cetera, oil names, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that they not, I think the politicians haven't fully, um, I don't think they have a good feel of the temperature and the climate. Just from the post, like we just, we've been posting about just news topics and, um, I think there's a very anti-war sentiment, at least yeah. our followers. Yeah. Right? It's very anti-war sentiment, and it's a very anti-give-money-to-other-country um, sentiment that has been going on. And then, like, when I put the post up that um, $100 billion was requested, a lot, some people didn't believe it. They're like, no, you made a mistake. It's $100 million. <laughs> Like, that was really $100 billion. So um, today, he actually talked about that today, um, that he wants to, you know, get money for Ukraine and for Israel. And like I said, they're talking about a hundred billion dollar package. Um, so what what are your thoughts for when people, you know, they, a lot of people are concerned because they're like, okay, we have student loans. Mm -hmm. you, you denied student loan um, debt relief on a, on a wide scale from the, from, the, on the federal, from the federal court situation. But now we can go into a hundred million, hundred billion dollars to fund outside wars that the average person doesn't see any any benefit in doing that so what's your what's your thoughts on that nah that's crazy so we you know we i don't i don't really go too heavy into politics but i i share the sentiment where a lot of people have to ask the question like where's this money going and what's the benefit right like the way that they're going to try to pull the wool over certain people's eyes is they're going to say well you know we are trying to maintain uh or i think they use the word like for national security we need ukraine not to be taken over or we need israel to this that and i think that national security we don't really understand that so the average person i'm not even gonna say the average person just anybody for the most part don't know what that means right i remember when Zelensky came before congress and at this moment we had gave bro them like 30 billion and he like yo that's not enough <laughs> And we like, wait a minute, bro. Like, and so the, the average person is like, one, why do we have to always be the person to kind of interject and say, hey, let's take this side or that side. But there's so many other things that we need to do with that type of money. And for me, I don't think giving bread to none of them is the right answer. However, I'm not privy to the type of national security conversation that they might be having in our Oval Office. So what do you 
what are you investing in right now? I know you, you know, you, you, you worked on wall street um, and you have the series and, and we talked to your, your, your children in the back of the car about investing in stocks and stuff like that. So what, what is some, what is some stocks? What are some ETS? Like, what are you personally invested in or what's on your watch list? I love that. What's on the watch list. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I rock with Ian Heavy. You always got to start off with the two, the two indices, right? S&P and the NASDAQ. After that, it's heavy first in tech, you know, so you're always looking at the Apple, the Amazons, right? The, the Microsofts. Um, I think I, I love the semiconductor sectors. I think I love infrastructure. I love healthcare. And at the end of the day, right, I think anytime where you're looking at certain names being down a ton, like I'm not touching the travel sector yet, but it's been down like 30% over the past three months. So you're looking at stuff like that, like, okay, it's now time. Like, well, Disney at crazy, you know, crazy discount in the 80s is now time. Maybe not yet, but like there's certain names that will always continue to be on the watch list and you're trying to see is now the time to, um, you know, get into it. But I think the safest is always starting off with the indices. And from there, just trying to own the most powerful tech companies in general. So um, let, let's, let me ask you about this, another trending topic. Um, Cardi B, I don't know if you saw this, but um, she has said that uh, she would rather invest in Birkin bags um, because that's a better investment for her as opposed to real estate. Um, and, you know, when I first saw the headline, I'm like, but she actually made a pretty compelling argument, I'll be honest with you. And anybody that has, you know, I, I, I recently just bought a home to personally live in it. It's not always cracked up to be, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, especially when you're building a home. My, my advice to anybody is never build a home. Mm. If I had to do it over, probably one of the worst mistakes I've ever made in my life. So were you building that in New York? Okay. Um, um, so she, she, asked, she made some valid points. She was talking about how tenants, a lot of her tenants have not paid, um, mm -hmm. all kinds of issues, property, the boiler breaks, all kinds of stuff. Right. It's in your situation. You could buy a stock and just not have anything to do with it at all. Right. If you're buying, you have, Hand. It's not. There's no such thing as passive income when it comes to real estate. I think that that's a a phrase that in real estate. So, what's your thoughts on Cardi B saying that Birkin bags are a better investment than real estate? So, at the end of the day, right, you got to look at a Birkin bag and understand that that's a different asset class. So, it's not apples to apples. You know what I mean? So, <clears throat> if you look at a Birkin bag, if you look at Rolexes, if you look at wine, if you look at art, these are all different asset classes that one, our people don't know nothing about. All we know about is whether it's real estate or stocks for the most part. And crazy enough, right? Rolexes have been doing better than the S&P over the past five, 10 years. And I got to look into Birkin bags, but they have been having a crazy- They've been appreciating like 20, 25% per year. That's what I'm saying. They got a crazy IRR and, I, and it was, I had a home, I had a home girl that worked at a, um, at like a consignment store. And she was telling me like, man, it's a, it's a way that you even gotta be able to get into these places to bid on the Birkin bag. So it's a whole different asset class and the access to it. So at the end of the day, right? Like scarcity gives anything value, right? And so there's only a certain amount of 
land in the world, but you being in New York, you know, they just building on top of people. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, real estate to your point, it's so many, it's so many things that you can't control, right? The economy down or, or interest rates higher and you're trying to sell your crib. And then it's so many, it's so many things, but I love it. Like at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with having owning all type of different asset classes because Birkins, you know, that, that ain't, that ain't none that I know, but I know the Rolex market and I understand that they appreciate it and it's, and it's heavy. And so at the end of the day, I think it's obviously some stuff you got to do right where it's like, you can still live in this house and it's going to appreciate. You're going to have all these different tax strategies that you can leverage, right? And all type of other stuff you can leverage. Now with a Birkin bag, I don't know if I buy a Birkin for 25 and I'm wearing it every day or I'm, I'm you know, if I'm a girl, I'm carrying it. I don't necessarily know if it's still going to hold that value. Now, if I'm buying a Birkin and I'm putting it in the case and it's a crocodile and it was 50 racks, I come back in four years. Now it's, they, they, they discontinue making this. So it was only, that might be different, but you know, I, I think I can wear my Roly long as it's in good condition. It is still appreciated. So let me ask you this cause you all, um, you have a, a pathway that I, I didn't have. Like you went to an Ivy League school. You actually went to one of the best universities in the world, um, Warden School of Business, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's like one of the top business schools in the world. Um, and then you worked on Wall Street. So you have, have a very interesting pedigree. What was your experience as a black man um, going to an Ivy League school first? And then what was your experience working on, on Wall Street, which is probably 98% white. Hey, both of them, culture shocks. Especially like when you come from the inner cities. So I'm from Chicago, from the south side of Chicago. Uh, and going to the, going to Penn, going to the Ivy League, it was 6% black. So instantly, I think, and I tell people this all the time, the greatest teacher is exposure. 6%? Right? I remember gr the greatest teacher is exposure. It ain't Everybody think it's like experience when they say, oh, don't touch the iron because it's hot. And you a little kid, they're going to say, you know, don't touch it. And you're not going to know it's hot until you truly touch it. That's cool if we're looking at it in a very small lens. The greatest teacher is exposure. And one of the things I remember as a shorty coming from the South Side is I was exposed to, you know, all right, it's other different races. It's, you know, it's very diverse, but it was a diverse way of thinking too, though. Right? And so... Now you're in class with kids whose dads are CEOs or foreign dignitaries, moms rich as hell from Italy, you know, or all different cultures, right? And the crazy thing was how people, like we, we have trunk parties, we go the way to school. It was a kid that I was in econ class with, and to this day, this changed my life because he was day trading in class. Asian kid day trading in econ class, this is in 2008. So the big recession broke day trading and his graduation gift, his dad gifted him a portfolio as opposed to, you know, the Trump party and a little money and I'm gonna buy a new computer without like, bro. So just the way of thinking are, are, was completely. Are, are you saying a trunk party? Y'all got them in New York? I'm not familiar with a trunk. What, what is a trunk? A trunk party? In Chicago, maybe that's a Chicago stuff. I, sound off in the comments if you've heard a trunk party. Black people know what a trunk party is. It's literally they going away to college party, 
where you know you're getting your gifts or you're getting money it's like the idea is like that like a trunk is like a, a suitcase you know what i mean a trunk so you put in your gifts there we go a few yes sirs but the reality is a trunk is they're putting stuff in there which you're going to take with you to college okay so it's pillows sheets whatever it is you know what i mean but what i'm saying the baby the, the coat baby shower almost damn near yeah there we go send kids off to school with a trunk full of stuff they're gonna need um and so that I, ain't no way that's just chicago G. I, <laughs> I got funny. i never heard of a trunk party before it's a good idea. It's a good idea. I just never, I'm not familiar with a trunk. It's definitely evolved where it ain't no actual trunk, but I could imagine back in the day, it was a true trunk. But a trunk, just a, a hardcover suitcase. You know what I mean? But the crazy thing is like the cultures are so different though, where, you know what I mean? You go into school and you know what you're going for. You groomed at a young age where it's like, you know, I came back to the city, right? One, the, the access to, you know, having the Wall Street firms on the Ivy League campus recruiting for their jobs, whereas some of my, my peers I went to high school with and some of the homies, they coming back and they just bragging on how many girls they may have had and they just chilling in Chicago where the culture I was at Penn, everybody was trying to get an internship or trying to, you know, pad their resume so that they can go to the respective careers that they moms and dads already was putting them on that on that path too. And so at the end of the day, exposure is crazy because it's just going to help you understand the world from different lenses. And it's going to expose you to different ways people are making money, right? Like if you only from, you know, East New York or you from Flatbush and these are people in your hood, you're only going to know what the most successful person in that hood has done. I'm from South Shore. So whoever was, you know, we, we see the people make it out. Oh, this athlete or this type of person that's, top D boy, just a few, you know, you might see a, a doctor here and there, but now you're exposed to different levels of wealth, right? Like I, I thought I knew what rich was in high school, but college let me know what wealth was. And then working on Wall Street was crazy. Before you, before because, you go to Wall Street thing, um, I want to talk about that. You said something, you talked about your friend that was investing. He was the first person that you saw a day trading. So the crazy thing is um, this was probably – uh, it was the year that Donovan Mitchell got drafted. I forgot what year that was, but that was probably maybe like 20. Spider? Yeah, 2014 or something like that. Yeah, yeah it was a while ago. But it, so I know I know his family. I know Donovan Mitchell's family, right? So I went to I went to um. It was in the garden. The draft that year was in was in Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. I was already a professional. I was already in my 20s working as a financial advisor. And I went to the draft, and they had a suite. His family had a suite in the draft. I think it might have been a Barclays. But regardless, we had a suite, right? So I was in the suite. And we have a mutual family friend where hit one of his um, family friends is a good friend of, of me and Troy as well. Mm -hmm. So their son went to... Um, I think he went to Stanford. He went to one of the, no, he actually was high school. He went to like a, a, a private high school, right? It's a very good high school in New York. And um, I met one of his friends. So this kid was like 17 years old. I'm like 26, 25 years old. He's like 17 years old. And we was having a conversation, white kid. 
and he he was telling me about Ethereum. He was the first person to ever tell me about Ethereum. Mm. He, there's this coin called Ethereum. He was explaining it to me. He was explaining to me how it worked because at the time I heard of Bitcoin. Okay. Him, he was telling me about Ethereum, and he was telling me how. Now this is the part that's interesting. He's 17 years old and he just graduated from high school. So he was like, yeah, you know, um, my parents, they gave me $100,000 to invest. And he was like, I put the 100000 into Ethereum and turned the 100000 into a million. And he was like, now I'm trying to start a hedge fund. Mm. 17, 17 years old, right? Think so that. that, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that conversation because that just put it in perspective for me, bro. That put come on perspective for me, like you know what oh, I'm saying, like that. Put, Mom, I never even heard of a hedge fund at 17, bro. So there's there's so many different levels. So a the fact that at 17 he's even has enough awareness to even be interested in investing. That's one thing. 17, he's in a position to get a hundred thousand dollars from his family to invest. Because if they give you a hundred thousand dollars to invest, that means that they have. That's not even. That's, that's nothing. Like no. no. That's that's the second thing. The third thing is that he has enough information to know what to invest in, right? And then the fourth thing is that he's aware that he turned most seventeen-year-olds. You make a million dollars when you're seventeen years old, you're going crazy. He understands that that's just the beginning level, and he's already on to the next thing. So he wants to start a hedge fund. Yeah. So that that just blew my mind. Like, and I actually invested in Ethereum shortly after he told me that. But that just blew my mind that was mm. like, I never had conversations like that with anybody in high school or anybody in life up until that point. And the first time I'm hearing about this is a 17 year old. So it's like a lot of times, because I went to public school and private school. I went to public school my whole entire life and I went to private school my last two years of, of high school. Mm -hmm. And the difference is, it's like, the wealth gap is so disturbing for what I realized is that we don't even realize how far we are behind because right. it's a very segregated country, right? You usually live in communities similar. Everybody's similar to yourself. Your circle is similar. So yeah. if you make $80,000 a year, you're communicating with people that make $80,000 a year or less, yeah. right? So all of your problems, issues, aspirations, you all kind of have the same and you create your own algorithm, right? Mm. You create your own life algorithm where you're not aware of anything else, really. So three miles down the road, people that are making $10 million, $5 million, $8 million, you're not even aware that mm. this situation is even really happening. You have no you have no real inner workings of any of that, right? So it's like you don't even really realize how far you are behind because you never really get a real perspective of a different world until you're in that world but most mm -hmm. people never get an opportunity to even be in. so they're just consumed with the world that they're in but like i said you have an interesting perspective because you you're in that you're in that world from an ivy league perspective at death from wall street so now now i would like to hear your, your your perspective on wall street working as a young black man and what did that look like bro everything you said just hit home because when we think about the wealth gap is only exacerbated by the exposure gap. Like, like you said, that kid had the information. 
not only just the capital, right, but he had the information. Because there's some, it's some mugs in the hood that could get a hundred racks easy, <laughs> but they don't have the, the easy. A lot, of them, a lot of them hit for about twenty to forty on the PPP, so <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing, right? The whole hood hit for the PPP, but the idea of actually now having the exposure to attaining that information, to now taking that capital to the next level, and so that's why I said when I got in at, at my school, it was crazy. Right, because now I'm exposed to so many different avenues and thought processes when it came to attaining wealth. People that are running, you know, websites. I'm like, well, okay, people that are working on startups. This at 18, right? It's it's a different conversation when you're seeing people, you know, Asian kids that are coding and stuff. This what what the hell is that? You know what I mean? The coolest kids for us was guys who getting the girls, the athletes. You might be cool, you get a nice car. But now it's a different conversation. Guys are working on apps, et cetera. And so the, the crazy thing, when I got to Wall Street, it's like, oh, I, in my mind, I made it. I felt like an athlete. But I just realized that it was a, a small stepping stone to what else the world had to offer. Because, you know, I got on the desk in 2012 at Morgan Stanley, and I was the first black guy on this trading desk in the history. That's crazy, 2012. But the greatest thing, once again, about the – First black person on Morgan Stanley's trading desk ever? No, 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 yeah, no. On my particular desk, I was on the high yield desk. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> on the high yield desk. It was other brothers on there, you know, okay. one guy over there, IG, uh, Munis, and <laughs> one dude upstairs in, in rates. And uh, yeah, yeah, but no, on my particular high yield, leverage loans, um, distressed, I was the first. And working full time. They might have had one that was an intern, but that wasn't, you know. But the, now, now to really talk about the exposure, because if anybody's ever been on a trading desk, you're side by side, back and back to back to people. And it's just long rows and everybody got, you know, six computer screens or three to four, whatever, right? And the greatest thing was one, the conversations that you're exposed to, right? You hear people talk about what they're investing in and then things that you just see where people checking their, their 401k. And I remember the first time I seen real bread I'm walking down my aisle, and one of the MDs, he wasn't even a head on the desk. He was just a, a MD, a managing director. He checked his 401k. He had like $3 million in there. So he rebalanced and stuff. And I'm sitting there like, what is that? And at that moment, you think about it like the average person from the inner city, they won, right? People don't even understand benefits. So they don't know like, okay, my four, like they don't even know what their 401k is being invested in. Half of them, it might be a target date fund. Some of them is getting a money market fund, which is cash equivalent. So your money really ain't growing. And so just the, the, the exposure made me want to yearn and learn more. Because I'm like, bro, how fam got two, three million and why is he rebalancing? So now I'm thinking about how he's doing that. Or I'm hearing these guys on the desk talk about, oh, I'm looking at this mining drilling company and yada, yada. But like just the conversations, right? One guy telling me about why he got an LLC and how he's writing off his dry cleaning and all of his his suits. I'm like, okay, so, but the, 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 the exposure is just one at that level. And then I went to a fund when I moved back to Chicago. And the crazy thing is just being in, and obviously y'all doing it in, in front of the world by being on, on, on stage with the Robert Smiths and the Kathy Woods and the Novogratz, but like, I'm, I'm, I was in a few, not a few, I was in meetings every day with hedge fund managers 
portfolio managers and people that ran hedge funds and now you're just doing the backwards math of how much they're worth and on top of that how they think and um one of the dopest meetings i was in was with ken griffin he's citadel he one of the richest dudes out here you got to be over nine nine b's but fam didn't blink bro and what was crazy to me was just how machine like he was before there was AI that we knew he of, didn't, how just he didn't blink the whole meeting. Fam, if you ever watch an interview of Ken Griffin, see how we talk, we blink as we you, with our expressions. You can you, like one of the things I learned when I do public speaking, I count how many times people say um just randomly. I, I do that. I was trying to count how many times he blinked, bro. Don't blink. He a, he a machine, bro. But going to that point though now talking about exposure now i was thinking about different alternative methods of what people are investing in right so i remember having a meeting with a specialty finance company and this what was a, a true turning point was they were invested they own a portfolio of cash advance loan places so when you sit there one it's a phenomenal investment if you're on the other side yeah, right oh it's uncorrelated to the market it's in black and brown neighborhoods they charging 500 percent return I mean, i'm sorry they charging 500 percent interest on the money they're borrowing at this and they're doing it so now you look and you say bro one us as a community we didn't pray right we're getting prayed on and even more importantly was like wow there's so many different investment strategies right i i, I was sitting across from a, a, several um, portfolio managers for um, reinsurance, right? So to your point, when you talked about the the Birkin bag, it's nothing wrong with having these uncorrelated investments because it's people making millions of dollars purely buying the flood insurance and the hurricane insurance that you have through your insurance companies. And so I think at the end of the day, bro, exposure is something that before the the, the power of social media, Sometimes you just needed to be in those, you know, being at a white firm and a white school, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get to, to pick and choose kind of like social media, who you follow. Cause you're, you're in the halls with these people every day. And it's, I, 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 I say, I wouldn't be where I was. I wouldn't been investing in 2008 if it wasn't for sitting next to a guy he had 25 racks to your point to, to your homie who got 100 racks this asian guy had got 25 and that's that's how he started investing with 25 and it's just different conversations that our community ain't privy to and that's why it's important no education is extremely important you know like we come from working class neighborhood and i'll never forget like um first time we used to work at a community center at a camp and um when we got the first paper check everybody went to it was a check cashing place right, mm -hmm. next, right next to a chinese restaurant and um we went to the check cashing place and um say you got 200 and they give you like 190 dollars, and they, they cash a check for you and nobody ever questioned it but the crazy thing is that there was actually a bank probably 200 yards away from the check cashing place exactly so, easily could have opened a bank account but nobody even thought about that 
it was just like, yo, this is just cold. This is how you get your money. When you get a check, you give it to them, and they give you the money for the check. And it's predatory lending. Bro. Um, and it is something that, like I said, I've never seen a check. Never seen a check cashing place in a white neighborhood. No. Never. never check cashing place right next to the liquor store. <laughs> I've never seen a check cashing place in a white neighborhood. I've never seen it before, ever in life. Um, but these, once again, this goes back to education, like just being educated, right? And it's like so many things when you just look back on life and it's like information is just everything, man. Because it's like these these bits of information can literally life-changing. Like what you don't know is going to keep you in the same position that you're in forever, for generations, right? And just learning something different can actually change your life. But now your whole family's trajectory going forward. Yeah. Bro, like the idea of people should get mad at the fact that there's no currency exchange or a cash advance. None of that in the white neighborhood, but it's going to be in the black and brown. Seldom will it be in the Asian or Indian neighborhood. Me. But for the most part, bro, it's in our hoods. And imagine, bro, because now I'm, I'm, I'm in a position when I was at my shop. I'm in a position because I'm trying to look good. So I'm imagine saying, oh, this is a great investment. It's traditionally uncorrelated to the market. It's crazy returns. You know, the, these people are getting money and their return on the capital that they're either lending out or, you know, it's 200, 300, 400, 500%. And so when you're sitting there looking at that, it's not until you like take the, the, the blinders off, you're like, wait a minute, gang. We we at the dinner table, you know what I mean? And so to your point, like information not only could change your life and the trajectory of your family, but it's so important to understand what we consume because a lot of stuff be, you know, propaganda, et cetera. But it's important to understand what we're doing with our free time because you, we get lost away on, on scrolling and following different things or lost away on Netflix. Netflix crazy because they give you five seconds to say that you want to watch the next episode and then it's just instantly on and so you look up you then binge five hours and not understanding the world that's around us that for the most part we don't have a seat at the table we don't owning nothing and so like having going to that school and that's something that i go back and forth with because all my siblings for the most part went to uh hbcus and so i'll be thinking like you know what i want to want my kids to go to hbcu or what i want them to be exposed to what i was exposed to or granted, because now I was exposed to, maybe they can go to an HBCU or, so I kind of go back and forth. For the most part, I, I want them to go to kind of the route I went to. Um, but like the conversations is different. Well, you know what I mean? Well, let me I, ask you, you have, you have, you have kids, um, you have young children, right? So this is something that a lot of parents um, struggle with, especially like when you start. So a problem with, the problem with when you start to make money as a black person, is that you're faced with um, some dilemmas. It's a very weird situation to have money as a black person because in most parts of the country, if you want to move to a really nice neighborhood, mm -hmm. be predominantly white. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an issue because now you're the only black person in the neighborhood and that's weird. And then you have to send your kids to school but all white children, and especially when they're young, 
that's a very dangerous situation to put a child in because mm -hmm. they're never going to be fully accepted as a white person because they're not white and they're going to lose a level of cultural identity because they're never going to be able to fully identify with the vast majority of black people because they become out of touch so now they become kind of like um they walk a very thin line i've noticed this with a lot of black kids that grew up in white neighborhoods where they do like weird cultural, like they try to overdo it sometimes. Yep. They try to just, it's it's a weird, it's, it's a weird space. Um, but then it's like, okay, do you put them in a black environment, right? Problem with that, unfortunately, is that a lot of times the educational system or just the environment is, is not the greatest. But now, now, when you put somebody who it's obvious that the kid has a level of wealth, right? Or mm -hmm. the kid has advantages. So when you put, it's, it's hard to be the richest kid. Yeah. It's hard to be the richest kid, right? Because now it's like there's a certain level of envy, jealousy, and there's just a certain level of just not at a certain point in time, you, you're not going to be able to relate. And mm -hmm. that can cause issues, right? Because then do you start to you start to do things to self-sabotage yourself to fit in with your friends who yeah. are at a social economic environment right and that causes challenges for the growth of a child because now they can they can potentially hurt their growth by trying to fit in in a situation that they're not familiar with like they wasn't raised like that they're not from that environment but now they're trying to fit into that environment to make themselves comfortable with their friends very interesting dynamic that parents have to consider. No, that's thinking a fact. What's best for your child, right? So, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? You you know what's crazy, and because I went to school on the East Coast, I understand that dilemma is even harder for y'all. Because for the most part, you asking the difference between private school and public school, right? P.S. and your, all the name of y'all schools got a number on it, type shit. In Chicago, lucky enough. There are a few good enough public schools that are diverse where you might have 25 this, 30 that, 20 this, 15 that, where it's like really diverse. And that was my that was my experience in Chicago. And thanks to moms, because I didn't go to my neighborhood school. I went to a school I had to test in for elementary school. If I would have went to my neighborhood school, 100% black, 100% underfunded, right? But luckily I went to a school where it was very diverse, I had white friends, I don't remember him coming over to my house, but I went over to his. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and then the same with high school. I went to Whitney Young, same school Michelle Obama went to, and it's one of the more diverse. But I think that's a real crazy question because even there, right, you kind of know who the rich kids' sons and daughters is. And I think to a level of comfort, you, you, you can ask yourself, right, because I got homies here that went to – you know, private schools, et cetera. And those where you're going to be one of only one of a few on the black side. But I think that that dilemma is way harder on the East coast because we got a few decent schools here. That's on the, on the public side. So you got to pay no bread and it's going to give your kid the ability to be able to almost be more chameleon like, because at the end of the day, my kids will not be able to relate to my upbringing. They just won't. Now, 
they're not going to necessarily be able to relate to some of their white counterparts upbringing either, especially if I move to a, like you say, a predominantly white neighborhood and we go to that to that neighborhood school. But to, to actually have that self-identity and ensure my kid don't have that imposter syndrome, I think it's important to, one, let them continue to know their cousins, let them continue to hoop in those in them tournaments, you know, in, in, in those basketball tournaments and, you know, do do those type of things. But um, I, I, that's a crazy question only because I know what you're thinking about. Because, like, the people that live in New York, that's a big question. You got to pay 30, 40 racks to get a good school. Whereas here, you know, the politics, hopefully my kids make it into the school. If not, we're going to have to figure out who pawns we got to grease. But, you know, I think that, come on. <laughs> Come on, that what, what's what's some famous people that, that that was at Stanford? The actress that got in. I, I I don't I don't feel bad for you know she did the right thing, but um I think that's a crazy thing though because that identity that identity crisis is real and especially in Chicago because what we see is perceived or other many inner cities is like this don't make you black because you know what I'm saying you drilling and all that like nah. So it's it's different elements that you definitely want to ensure that you one protect your kids from two getting them the best education. But like I get what you're saying, and I, and and once again, I plan to live in the best neighborhoods. However, I want them to be in a position to go to a mixed school though. Like I'm very big on I don't want to live in a white neighborhood. I would feel I don't I don't, I don't feel, think I would feel comfortable. I do want to get that. I want to I'm comfortable in a diverse community. Yeah. Diverse community, um, but there's not a lot of diverse communities. So there are diverse communities out there. You just have to seek it. But yeah, if you're fortunate enough to live like in um, PG County, that's a pretty affluent black yeah. um, sub, and that's that's good. Or like um, Baldwin Hills in uh, Los Angeles. Yep. In Atlanta, there's a lot of places in Atlanta, right, where you have like thriving black upper class. That's that's important, but. But um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of those communities in America. We have like pockets here and there. Yeah. But not a, there's not a lot of black thriving upper class. Nobody ever talks about that. We need a black upper class community. Yeah. You always try to say like, okay, the black middle class, but the black middle class has been stagnant for 70 years. We need right. we we need more black upper class neighborhoods. Yeah, and I and I think and and when you kind of. I took a psychology class and they was trying to talk about what the black elite upper class would look like. It's the parents are sending their daughters and having cotillions and, or, or the Jack and Jill's of the world. But to your point, like where they all live. And like you say, PG County heavy. I went to school with a lot of them. Um, Baldwin Hills. I had a, <laughs> I had a classmate that was on that TV show. Um, but yeah, like, you know, Chicago, I guess. Yeah. Ours is more diverse. You know, if you live in, I mean, you got. Cause what's the what's it like Bronzeville? I was just about to say you got Bronzeville, but it's still some elements there too, though. <laughs> some elements. It's, some elements. It's not unknown for Mark. You know, it's it's elements everywhere. You know, so it's it's those are the unfortunate <laughs> realities. It'd be real shit going on. Oh man, nah, this is nah, it's an interesting conversation. Like I said, this is stuff that, you know, uh, unfortunately, like, you know, black people, we got to deal with so much stuff, man, that 
other people don't think about. Other people can just get money and just pay their taxes. That's all they got to worry about, just paying their taxes. We got to get money, think about how do we want our kids to grow up, how, how much exposure do we give them. We got to think about, like, people that we, we know from the old neighborhood that's still – You got relatives that want a little bread. Lingering, like lingering street elements that still have some some – you never really fully, you never really fully escape this situation if you're black. It's called survivors, survivors remorse. And at the end of the day, what they say, birds of a feather flock together. But to a degree, you're gonna feel a little bit guilty if the people that you've come up with, you guys, you know, go in different paths. However, once again, if information is the equalizer, I've feel compelled at a minimum to try to give them the information that I have come across in my world that can hopefully help elevate them at a minimum, their kids. At a minimum, I, I want to make sure every one of the homies got life insurance at a minimum. Just at a minimum, why wouldn't we, right? Like, And so, you know, to that point, like you say, it's most, most white kids that I went to school with, they graduate. They're not thinking about having to start work right away because most of them, right? But once again, I went to a different type of school. They're not thinking about having to start, you know, work right away because, well, they might not have had to take out no student loans. Their mom and dad might, might be able to pick up the phone to get them whatever type of job. So, right, they senior year might just been more lavish or better yet. They might have said, you know, I want to go backpacking in Europe for a year and find my true passion. When it come to us, like bro, the, the 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 free like money gives freedom. It gives access to the stuff that other people don't have. And one of the greatest safety nets, or one of the greatest things I want to try to give my kids is that freedom. Because I said, bro, if Mark Zuckerberg parents was broke, we would never have had Facebook. Think about that, bro. If you from the hood and you tell your mama, I'm in Harvard, I'm finna drop out because I want to work on an app. Oh, you don't come home. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the level of even trying to articulate that to your mom or your dad. Think about that, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so the idea, and you know, people they say, oh, well, such and such got a. He only got that business because he got a loan from his parents. I mean, his parents did the right shit. Like, who wanted their kid to start off in square one? And so there's a level of freedom that I was damn near jealous of because I'm wow. How fam don't you just traveling the world? You ain't got no student loans. You ain't got no relative asking you for no bread. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I remember when I started in New York, bro, I'm living in Harlem. I'm living with other black people to your point, but I was trying to get the cheapest rent. My rent might have been $14.50 my first year in 2012. My my the people I'm working with, I'm asking them where they live. Oh, I'm in Cherry Hill. I'm in I, bro, everybody lived damn near. I'm in, you know what I mean? I'm in the, like everything. I'm in Gramercy Park. Well, I'm in Harlem. I'm in, I'm intern. I'm living in Brooklyn. Like, so like the idea of just stuff like that, like they couldn't even, or they couldn't relate to that. Where's, where's Harlem? Like, or, oh, wow. Okay. You've been to your point of the trying to be accepted. Oh, I live on the Upper East Side. Man, Say, oh, where? Oh, one, two, fifth, fool. <laughs> one ninety is different. All the way, all the way up, upper. Hit a look. Oh, just, just slightly north of the park. It hit different. <laughs> 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 hey, 
Hey, hey, bro, that that's some of the funniest shit. Oh man, oh man, nah, man, this is real, it's real conversations. But look, man, Chicago, Chicago, we are coming. Ross Mack will be joining us on stage for Market Mondays Live Chicago. You know, Market Mondays is a world tour, and yep. uh, it's six shows in four countries and three continents. So we did LA, we did two sold out shows in Toronto, we did sold out show in London, Chicago, which is on its way to selling out. Get your tickets now, click the link. We got yeah. a show. So Town can't break the streak. We got to keep the streak going. And then we're going to end the year in Ghana. That's going to be big. We're going to end the year on the, on the continent of Africa. And uh, we're going to bring in a new year. It's like uh, belly. If if you actually chance to go to Africa, <laughs> like the sequel, that, the sequel of Belly. That's gonna be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna be in Ghana. We're gonna be in Ghana for New Year's for Market Mondays. But um, now nah, it's been it's been a great experience, man, just to be able to travel, and um, you know, just see different people in different regions. Everybody got different, you know, aspirations, different goals, and um, I really like this this thing that we've been able to put together. So thank you for rocking with us and um joining us for this definitely looking forward chicago also the last thing i think about this is that chicago has a bad reputation and i feel like um even i tell people like yeah we're going to chicago first thing the first thing they say to me is like be safe oh i ain't going out there Iraq to watch it. i'm like yo bro it's not even like that like i feel like if any if you if you're looking for a problem or if you're doing if you're stupid and you're going to a neighborhood that you know you shouldn't be in at 12 o'clock at night then of course but it's like it, to me, it has one of the greatest um, architectures I've ever seen as far as the city is oh, concerned. Hey. The downtown architecture is beautiful. Even on the south side, he was on the south side pool. Like, it's no problem. Like, I feel like, um, you know, it's it's important to change narratives. Yeah. That's important. Look, man, Chicago voted one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Not just America, in the world. And at the end of the day, summertime shy is second to none. And like you say, it's a it's a culture. It, it, it's a it's a it's a city with extreme rich culture. Matter of fact, New York and Chicago, them black folks was coming up, up from Mississippi, up from you know the, that that Harlem Renaissance era. That they either went to Chicago and up to Detroit or or over to New York. And at the end of the day, we got a lot of rich culture here, a lot of beautiful people here, a lot of great businesses, a lot of black dope owned businesses. But at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like you say, changing the narrative is important because, you know, every city got the negative stuff, but for the most part, it'd be confined. Um, and when it's all said and done, you know, we're going to make history, man. Market Mondays, we're doing it here in Chicago. The best city is probably, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I think this is going to be the best show ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just how Chicago going to do. We're going to, you know, everybody going to pull up, pop out. It's like that. Uh, for sure. For sure. So shout out to my guy Dre in the comments too. You know, he'll be in the building. Absolutely. NACA expert himself. Hey, um, the, the the NACA finesse kid. <laughs> he one of them ones. That's my that's my dog. That's a fact, man. But yeah, shout out to Chicago, man. Can't wait to get out there. Always love when we whenever we touch the city. So thank in advance for the hospitality. Um Chicago has always been good to us. Um, and some of the best food in the country. It's a, don't forget that. Oh, and, there and, I'm, and I'm talking to a New Yorker, and I'm and I'm I'm talking crazy. Some of the best food in the pizza country is overrated. I'm gonna be honest with you. 
the deep dish pizza i didn't i didn't enjoy that at all i didn't i didn't even i it, 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 that listen. is oh that that's overrated listen <laughs> that, listen for sure listen the dollar slices that once was in new york they dry <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's cardboard it's like just putting cheese on a cardboard you know what i'm saying like at the end of the day bro new york is solid i got a lot of love i lived there for you know a little over three years and damn near more because i interned there for three summers too so i, I rock with new york but i fool it's like that <laughs> it's like that we got some of the top everything and it's and it's diverse just like y'all like we got crazy diversity too though because you're gonna get some there, there, you you can't get chicken in New York. That's smacking like Harold's. It's just not possible. I've never had good fried chicken. And I mean, you could go to what's what's that on one sixteen? Um, not Sylvia. Sylvia's on her twenty fourth, right? Sylvia's and then the other one, um, Amy Ruth. Omar, Amy Ruth's like Amy Ruth. It's cool. It's a real, you know, southern feel. But <laughs> if it, I'm just trying to get a five piece hard. Get some mouth sauce. I'm going about my day. You know what I'm saying? So Chicago, one of them ones. Um, we got way better steakhouses than y'all. Absolutely. It's not even a question. Yeah. I don't know. About that. Bro. I don't know. If you if, is Ricardo's one of your top steakhouses? <laughs> I don't eat steak. I don't eat steak. I don't eat steak. Okay. So I just want to I want to know how you come in. But you know, New York is actually known for steakhouses. You know that, right? No, nah, we we known for that. We in the Midwest, bro. We had real slaughterhouses where, like, we had a whole section where we was the ones chopping the stuff and sending it out. Okay. All right. I, 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 well, look. Hey, Gibson's is a chain. Whoever said that, that's they got that in New York and Chicago. We got stuff that ain't chains. I'm interested in, in trying some restaurants while I'm out there. Hey, we're going to show you a good time, man. Asian confusion, if you have one of those type of vibes going on. You got that. You know, I'm a fool. And not the chain? I'm a Because everybody got towel. Yeah. We got, you know, we got other vibes. I'm a, I'm a food snob, so I'll definitely, you know, I was going to, I wanted to have a, um, a food show. It ain't too late. It's not. It's really not. Um, so... Maybe maybe we'll do the pilot in Chicago. It's like that. That'd be, I mean, what better place? What better place? <laughs> Yo, well, there you have we it. We got better the Mexican food than y'all. Y'all gonna have us on the on the uh, on some West Indian though. Y'all got us. For sure. Y'all gonna have sure. us. Mexican culture is not, not really huge in New York. It's I know. That's why I had to say something I, that I knew I had a one up on. More Dominican, Dominican, uh, uh, definitely Jamaican, West Indian for sure. Chicharrones. I live in Spanish heart. I'm already knowing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Battle, battle, yeah. battle of the food. I'm now, now I'm interested. Now I'm interested. We gotta make reservations. Make some reservations for Saturday, shall we? Let's do it. Saturday night. We we go make reservations. We bring the gang out, and um, I'm gonna be the judge of this. I'm gonna be the judge of this. It's <laughs> easy work, man. I mean, you don't come in just mad off the stress when you gotta let us know, like, okay, that is better. As long as you, you know, for sure. 
for Believe sure. It. I, I Believe it. The deep dish, the deep dish was so hyped up, and I thought, what, what did I eat? It was one of these famous places too. Giordano's. That's downtown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, like, it's either like Giordano's. Or, um, it's two favorite. It's two famous places. Oh, then you talking about Illuminati's? Illuminati's. Yeah, I should have known. Just known by the name because it sounds like a it sounds like Illuminati, but I went to Illuminati, mm -hmm. and they gave. I knew I was in trouble when they gave me a fork and a knife. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand why they need a fork and a knife to eat pizza. It, it, it it's was, an experience. It was dough with tomato sauce. A lot of dough with tomato sauce on it. The cheese. And they said that's the best place to go. Hey, but you want to know what's crazy though. Chicago people really don't eat deep dish though. Like a New Yorker probably has never went and visited the Statue of Liberty. Like we don't eat deep dish. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's a outer towner thing. If you go in there and everybody chances are 90% of the people in wherever you at, they from out of town. What's the best restaurant in Chicago? I'll put you on the spot. That's what's wrong. Your favorite, what's your favorite restaurant? Mm. And I uh, got to ask the missus. Whole time, though, Steak 48 a hit. I like, uh, I, I, I'm a steak guy. I probably, I don't know, I, I ain't, ain't watched none of them, like, things on, on Netflix that was telling me why meat is bad for me. I haven't watched that, so I've been avoiding <laughs> that. I probably should. But then I got, you got uh, Joe Stone Crab. Um, what, what's another one? What's another one? That might be it for now. I know it's some other what's, ones though. What's the one that we went to that time. That was a uh, um we pulled up on the boat. That's heavy. That's that's a crazy flex too. And Rashana just she uh, the boat the the pull up to the boat, it felt like we was about to go to La Marina. Uh hey, hey I it, it was uh it might have been state forty eight. Was it? I think it was State 48. No, 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 no. My bad, my bad. SDK. It might have been no, it SDK. Wasn't SDK. It wasn't SDK. It was it's, it was it's on that block though. It's, yeah. It, it, um it, it was it, it was it, Dre, it was SDK. We were, hmm. I think it was I don't know no more. Let's see. Yeah, that was SDK. I knew I wanted to eat it. Was it? Yeah, it was SDK. Because I went there not that long. I mean I went not that long after. It was STK, but that was a flex. Oh, you got some great eating. You got some great eats on the on the river too, though. You know what I'm saying? Man, you ain't really eating on the on the Hudson River like that. You can't. We got great spots on the Chicago River. Boat. The boat was a vibe. That was a vibe. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting the boat. The boat ride in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. You know, that's just Chicago. And and we talked about this, and I argue this down. Chicago skyline and Chicago summertime is a real argument to have when it comes to comparing it to New York. And I'll leave it at that. Um, architecture skyline is beautiful for sure. The summertime is, I, I'm, is highly debatable. I haven't spent summers in Chicago, so I don't really know, but it's going to be difficult to beat New York summer. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's going to be difficult. I ain't gonna lie to you. I used to tear New York summers down. <laughs> Chicago summer is aesthetically more just, it's better. It's just hot and dry. 
and New York. Like, I think, and, and everything is about perspective. So for me, the idea of taking the subway in the summertime used to just... Oh, that's disgusting. That's, that's disgusting. But, but uh, imagine in a suit going to work and you got to go on a subway. It's 15 degrees hotter. No, you got to say, excuse me, because it's a rat also waiting to get on the train. The subway, excuse me. Disgusting. Like, I, you know, I used to work on Park Avenue, so... I used to I, I used to take the um six train from yeah. Grand. There was and that was only two stops, maybe. Four, five, six. I only took it when it was extremely cold or if it was raining, because I would just walk. Yeah. Man, that's to be the one of the worst experiences in life is taking the subway during rush hour because there's a million people on it on the cart and nobody's talking to anybody. Everybody's just like looking with their head down. In their own world, it's bad, bro. And it's to the one person with skits that get on and and flips and all kinds of weird shit. Um, yeah, hundred degrees when it's hot, it's bad. Subway system in New York is terrible. That needs to be revamped. They need to do a hundred billion dollar subway renovation. Literally, Jeez, I need a hundred billion dollar subway renovation for New York because they. And it was crazy, y'all. Y'all did it with Laguardia. Subways need to be next. I might take a long time and inconvenience a lot of people, but it's crazy. And that, I mean, think about it. Chicago, we on top, baby. The L system. You ain't got to go underground, baby. We straight here. Elevator train for the people that don't know. L. L train. Elevator trains. L train. The L train it is. Well, you got. I ain't took the train in a while. You guys a hell of a run when it comes to um, basketball players, for sure. That, you have you have had a good basketball run, and you legendary hip-hop, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, y'all, y'all, uh, you know, y'all done had y'all, obviously, when it comes to the, to the hip-hop. Obviously, y'all got the Yankees, and, you know, <laughs> Knicks ain't never did nothing in life, but Giants had a good run in this lifetime. The Giants have won two Super Bowls for sure. The the um the Bears, I don't think that they've won since no. 80, 88. 85. 85. But we went in uh what was that twenty sixteen? Yeah, the Bears. On my captain. What was that twenty? Two thousand six. Two thousand. Damn. Yeah. 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 But don't worry, I, I got a good feeling. <laughs> I got a good feeling. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Ross, always a pleasure, my brother. I will see you this weekend. You already. I'll see you Saturday, boy. Same trip. Chicago, get your tickets, everybody. Click the link. Ross Mack will be in the building. Rashawn Scott will be in the building. 19 Keys will be in the building. Ian Dunlap will be in the building. Myself and Troy, we got some 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 good things that we got planned for the Midwest. So thank you, guys. Um, Ross, holler at you, bro. My boy, love. Respect, baby. All right, bro. Peace. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.